G'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to what we believe is the 12th edition of The Wrap. I'll be your host for today. My name's Dougal Cameron. I'm here with Andy Cameron. How are you, mate? Pretty good, mate. It's just uh, just me and you sitting here on the couch. So it's a little bit more intimate today. Loving it, the vibe. It is. It's a bit more intimate. I, mean, I get to put my hand on Andy's shoulder <laughs> like this. You touch me, I'm break your wrist. <laughs> um, now, we have the smartest fans out of any podcast, and our smart fans will know uh, there's one man missing. And that man is Alex Cameron. We previewed last week that Alex will be in China for the next few months learning Chinese. Uh, so we will venture on without him. Uh, for today, it is just Andy and I, but we have lined up a rotation of guests starting from next week to join us on the wrap, which we're looking forward to. I think if, if someone wants to come test their hand on uh, as a CHP host or just a guest, then mm. I think they should definitely volunteer or volunteer your mate who think you've you think has what it takes you think could be up to it um yeah absolutely let us let us know come give us slide into these dms because we'll be keen to hear it uh now at the wrap we like to tell you what's been cooking uh the, for the past week in australia and abroad and uh before we get into the the meat and potatoes of the wrap which includes a, a domestic story and an international story we like to in honor of our wives and girlfriends and all the females out there uh, jump to a conclusion which we may or may not have to justify later so Andy why don't you kick us off with your conclusion for the week uh, my conclusion for the week is one relating to the NBA playoffs okay um, niche yeah look a little bit a um, little bit of an average conclusion a little bit of average a little bit come up with at the last minute but it's that Damien Lillard is the second best point guard in the league okay um, you got to really be a fan of the NBA to really, uh, really catch I was that gonna one. Say, I was going to say... Uh, so apologies to one, Grandma Helen, who is our biggest fan. My one um, before was going to be that I'm not going to watch Chris Lilly's new show, Lunatics, and I'm not sad that I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> Mate, well, why don't you just save that one for next week? <laughs> Maybe I will save it for next week, but who knows? I might come up with a better one. What, what have you got on? Uh, my conclusion is that... Uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings has been surpassed as the greatest modern epic fantasy uh, by George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones. Huge. Which I think is going to take the cake. Look, I think it is going to take the cake. I'm. Uh, you see those really horrible memes on Facebook that are uh, I belong to the one percent of the population that hasn't seen a single episode of Game of Thrones. Is that, you? that would be pretty close to me. I've seen some very, very small snippets. I don't think I've ever watched a full episode, so you're going to have to... Okay, well, I'm happy to make that You're going to have to justify you. why the masterpiece that is Lord of the Rings ain't it no more chief. So I'll come back to that at the end of the show, as we like to do. But to kick us off, we want to hear what's been going on in Australia. So Andy, tell us what's been going on for the week. Well, the story uh, is about the Sri Lankan terrorist attack. So... Not a domestic story. However, there is a domestic element in it which I would like to talk about, which is that one of the uh, attempt, the uh, one of the suicide bombers, uh, was supposedly radicalised in Australia, and we want to sort of have a look at the implications of that. Um, so he grew up in Sri Lanka, right, and then came to Australia for university. At which point he became uh, deeply uh, religious. Yeah. So and and this was. So, yeah. Yeah. so the guy's the guy's name who committed the attack um, is Abdul Latif Jamil Mohammed, and he undertook a postgraduate postgraduate degree at Melbourne Swinburne University in two thousand nine, and left the country in two thousand thirteen. 
and he appeared to have been influenced by extremist ideas during the uh, during the period, which is how the family feel. The um, his sister said in an interview that her brother had returned from Australia a different man. She said that he lost lost his humour, um, didn't smile or like really talk to people he didn't know. He um, really just came back from Australia, his time in Melbourne as a different man. Um, what happened which, to him? So what happened was he tried to detonate a bomb in the luxury Taj Samudra Hotel, um, but his bomb didn't defuse. The explosives failed to detonate and he retreated back to his guest house, which he was staying at, where he was tried to fix the bomb and it, at the time, there detonated, which killed two other bystanders, who I believe were children. Um, so a, a real tragedy, um, mm-hmm. which is, is another uh, addition to the uh, other atrocities that are going on in Sri Lanka at the time. Um, mm-hmm. During the Easter weekend, so we pray, we send our prayers there. Um, but what I want to look at is whether Australia has an issue with radical ideas, and do, are people like actually prone to being uh, changed into radical, shoot, uh, radical just extremists in Australia? Mm. We've seen that. Um, Dating back to Man Monos with the Lint Cafe shooting, um, even more recently in the Christchurch shootings where the person has been radicalised in Australia. Um, mm. Is there an issue there? Dudes, what do you think? Yeah, mate. Look, there, there is an issue. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, I would much rather have the teachings out in the open. I wouldn't want to suppress the teachings. Uh, so what that looks like in reality is I wouldn't try and uh, block or suspend extremist accounts. I would want, like from Facebook or Twitter or social media, I'd like everybody to be able to see them. Uh, I also think it's it's helpful because sunshine is usually the best disinfectant. And if people, uh, some people are, um, you know, succumb to these ideas, then so be it. Um, but I think Australians should absolutely be aware of the ideas that uh, are popular around the world uh, and we should understand how lucky we are to have the ideas and the cultural institutions we have in Australia uh, and I think it would make Australians all the more wiser and all the more keen to fight for them. Um, What I would say is that in the wake of the Sri Lankan shootings, um, we heard a lot of talk about, you know, preventing Islamophobia Um, But we heard in the wake of the uh, Christchurch shootings, um, for example, an article by Rachel Withers on Slate.com, which is titled, The Christchurch Shootings Should Implicate All White Australians. Shame and apology is not enough in confronting our country's virulent racism. So you don't find anything like that about Islam's Christianophobia or any other religion except Islam Islam. Uh, phobia, or even the Islamophobia within Islam towards any sect which is not your own. Um, you see no articles saying uh, the, cri- the Sri Lanka shootings should implicate all brown people, uh, nor should you. I don't want to see any of that. I don't think any of that is actually helpful. Um, and, um, and, and what I think is that there's, there's absolutely a double standard there. And it, this will kind of relate uh, partly to our international story, but... Um, I absolutely think we should have 
instead of quelling the discussion, we should be actually opening up the discussion. We actually need more discussion instead of less discussion. So the discussion should include uh, how many, uh, the, the discussion should include uh, what types of uh, Islam uh, are compatible with Australian values, because I think it's clear that uh, not all uh, parts of Islam are. I think it should include a discussion about immigration, uh, including the numbers and the parts of the world from which, from which uh, you know, we, we take immigrants. Um, and I think we should, we should um, have broader discussions rather than uh, more closed off discussions uh, as the remedy um, to, to these kind of extremist ideas which are popping up and nobody knows where they're coming from. Yeah, and um, tying into that as well, it's said that the terrorists uh, had connections, at least in an online way, with Neil Prakash, a very prominent um, Australian terrorist who fled to IS and is currently in a Turkish prison. And he wants to come home. Wants to come home, wants us to save him. That guy can suck eggs. He, that's exactly what he can do. He can sit and rot in there. Yeah. Um, but I think that if we didn't have all these like secret chat rooms and discussions there if people were encouraged to as you said like have these beliefs in a more public forum it would be Mm. a better disinfectant um i know Mm. that's somewhat impractical um somewhat idealistic of me but i agree with you on the fact that sunlight is usually the best disinfectant Mm -hmm. and um with these ideologies if they were more out in the open um and widely discussed rather than um it being more of a taboo to criticise some um, ideologies, uh, then it would create a much more informed, uh, positive discourse that hopefully doesn't lead to acts like this happening, which we condemn in all its forms. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, well, Andy has done a pretty good job with, uh, with the domestic story, and that's what you get. That's what you get for loyalty, uh, for commitment, for just turning up. Um, that's a bit, so, that's a bit harsh. So uh, <laughs> it's true, but harsh. So Andy uh, has has taken that promotion from just a sports and culture report to the domestic story with both hands, and so tip my my hat off to him. But after you finish watching this, you better stick in for that sport and culture report because you already know what's coming up. <laughs> you already know what's coming up. Uh, so the international story for this week um, is to do with the EU elections, and it's it's the the formation of the. Brexit Party for the European Parliament um, election. So what what happens for the European Parliament, which is like the governing body of, of the EU, um, is that once every five years, all like adults in European member countries uh, can have a vote for who represents their like local area or district in the European Parliament in a similar way they would um, for their own federal parliament or state parliament uh, except for the fact that uh, the EU Parliament is probably much more powerful, um, and you only get that tr- that chance like once every five years. So it's if you're if you're in Europe, um, I would say get out and vote because these globalists uh, are going to take it and run with it if you don't uh, keep them accountable at the ballot box. Um, so this EU party um, has, in recent polls, taken over the Tories for um, popularity uh, and, and voting and is neck and neck with Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party, right? So the EU, the, the Brexit Party, which has just been launched by uh, U- 
the UKIP's former chief, uh, is set to rake in, uh, Nigel Farage, UKIP's former leader, uh, is set to take in 28% of the vote uh, in Britain next month, um, which is the same as Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party, 28%, and double that of the Tories, which is Theresa May's party, uh, Conservative Party, 14%. Um, so since the last opinion poll two weeks ago, um, the uh, Brexit party has gone up 16% on the day, since the day of its launch, which was two weeks ago. So massive support there, guns straight past Theresa May. Uh, you, Beauty, we're, we're big supporters. Um, the other in- the interesting thing to note um, is that Tommy Robinson is going to be running for the EU Parliament. Our man, Tommy. Our man, Tommy, um, as an independent candidate. And he's actually come out and taken a couple of shots at Nigel Farage, calling him just another millionaire stockbroker who looks down on the working class. He also said that Nigel is terrified of talking about issues like the Islamification of Britain. He won't fight the battle for the heart of our country. In fact, he bowed bad mouths those who do. An interesting point is that um, so Tommy on his uh, on in his mandate says he's going to speak out against the quote Islamification of Britain if he's elected as the member for European of the European Parliament for the northwest of England. Mike Kane, the Labor MP um, for Sale East and Withenshaw, signed a joint letter with other uh, religious leaders saying what Robinson's quote far right political views are not welcome in our town and our great city. He said, we are firm in our belief that violence and racism have no place in, politi- in our political discourse. Um, and I want to say to Mike um, that there is zero violence uh, and zero racism actually coming out from Tommy Robinson. Uh, the violence and racism is actually coming out from uh, both Antifa, which would be aligned with Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party, i.e. your Labour Party, uh, and it would, n- not saying that your Labour Party is responsible for it, but I'm saying it's for people who ideologically agree with you are responsible for it. Um, and it's also coming from uh, Muslims often. I hate to say it. Um, it does come from uh, occasionally people on the right, um, but it doesn't come from Tommy. It doesn't come from Tommy. Uh, Tommy's often slandered with this English Defence League, uh, but it, Tommy's not part of the English Defence League. He founded it when it was a different organisation and he has since condemned it. Um, so he, he's not responsible at all for um, a- anything to do with the English Defence League. Um, but Tommy has routinely been uh, beaten up. Um, Tommy has never been racist because he speaks out against Islam, which is not a race. It is, in fact, an idea. Um, And what I want to say is that Mike Kane gets a nomination for uh, Beta Male of the Week. Um, And I am, if I was in uh, Britain, I would seriously consider voting for Tommy um, just based on how he's been treated, how he got locked up unfairly. Uh, and also how just as soon as his uh, campaign started for the EU Parliament, his Twitter uh, account, sorry, his campaign Twitter account got uh, blocked, right? Got suspended. Um, this comes after all his other personal social media accounts that had been suspended. His campaign account got suspended. So did Sargon of Akkad, Carl Benjamin, who's running for the UKIP 
party in the EU elections. He's a, he's a famous YouTuber. His account also got uh, blocked and suspended. Um, so Twitter also gets a beta male nomination. And do you have any, any thoughts on, on that EU election? I just think it's it's just typical that when um, you just get slapped with this uh, with the racism card, it's like a... I'm playing my Trump card and you see mm. a left, left-wing politician slaps it on someone when they're trying to say mm. something that, yeah. a, that they think is a little bit out there. It's, it's, a bit, it's a bit mean in the sense that when you really talk about racism, you, you're usually hearing about guys like, like Hitler, right? These terrible racist guys. And it's like, I'm going to slap you with this. Do your best to prove you're not a racist, and so you get this this situation where these people there's no evidence being presented, um, you know there's no quotes, there's no um, no it's actions. Just, it's, just, it's just you have to defend yourself against this slur, and I'm going to stand back at a distance and lob it at you, and it's it's this shotgun approach, and it's it, you know it, it shows really more about the person who accuses it than it than than it does about the accused. Um, and it's one of those words which I hate to say it because uh, because it, 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 it's lost its meaning and it shouldn't have lost its meaning. But when you hear that somebody's a racist, usually it means they're not a racist these days. And, and that's a sad thing. And it's, and it's a dangerous game to just try to discredit someone's ideas completely and shut them off completely from the discourse just because they're... Mm. quote racist yeah when the you're just playing on people's fears mm. of the connotations of that word yeah especially like and when if, you said it's not really what it, it's not really being used how it's supposed yeah. to be used and if the democrats or whoever wants to talk about facebook being used as a weapon in the 2016 campaign how about twitter being um you know using use you know being blocking people like and this. and you never hear like if you have a look at the belgium islamic party um, that you know, they have all their social media there. They are that they explicitly say they want to turn uh, Belgium into uh, a country with Sharia law, and they have significant support. And I think they have seats in the parliament. I think they have two seats, right? Uh, but their 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 accounts aren't blocked. It's Tommy Robinson, the guy who got put in um, solitary confinement for three months uh, for reporting on a case. Uh, which nobody else had reported on of rape gangs for two years uh, just because the perpetrators were Muslim. He gets locked up for that. Um, so we're not very happy with that. We're, we're, we're nominating a few beta male uh, of the week nominations. Um, so that kind of wraps up our international story and we might actually be on track to finish uh, at a reasonable time. We might be. Um, so my beta male nominations are Mike Kane, the Labor MP, who said we there's no place for hate in our communities. Um, but at the same time, I'm sure he's, uh, you know, advising, uh, you know, British women that they can't walk around anymore at night by themselves because it's, uh, you know, or go out on New Year's Eve wearing, you know, uh, revealing clothing because it's not safe anymore. Um, Twitter gets a beta male uh, nomination and... The author of the Slate article, Rachel Withers, uh, who obviously didn't write anything about implicating all brown people in the Sri Lankan terror attacks, uh, she gets a beta male nomination as well. So, Andy, do you have any uh, preference on who gets the beta male nomination? Um, personally, if I had to pick one, um, I think I'd have an honourable honourable mention to Ms Withers. 
Mm-hmm. But I think that uh, corporate Mike Kane would... Uh, Demon Mike Kane might take the cake for me. Mike Kane, the brother of... One of the main brothers of destruction. Who would be the undertaker? Um, it would be uh, probably Theresa May. <laughs> Theresa May would be the undertaker. Um, now, we like to jump back to the conclusion we had at the start of the podcast to unpack it a little bit, see how it's going, see if it stands up to the test. Remind the people what your conclusion so was. So my conclusion was that Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings has been surpassed as an epic fantasy, as the greatest modern the- fantasy, epic fantasy by George Martin's um, The Game of Thrones. Um, and... Tolkien. Now it might just be it might just be a time thing, right? It might just be um, Tol- George Martin's taken. Um, he, he's seen what Tolkien's done, and because he's had the time to take that standard, he's had time to compare his. He's just made a better story, right? Potentially, um, but nonetheless, as far as I can tell, it, it is absolutely better. Uh, and if you ask why. There's a couple of reasons. One is that the story is significantly more complex, right? Yet he's actually able to take the lay reader with him, right? It's not just a few people and their buddies going along. It's a lot of different characters with a lot of different motivations all competing against each other from different continents along different timelines, right? Um, But nonetheless, he's able to keep the reader very engaged throughout the whole thing. Uh, the second thing is, is that the characters are internally more complex, right? They're not just good guys and bad guys. There's actually good and bad in each of them, and there's parts to like and dislike about each of them, which actually makes it a much more interesting novel and actually much more realistic, right? Because we know that in real life, there's not usually just goodies and just baddies, and so it's a much more honest reflection uh, on human nature than, it, the, than, than Tolkien's book is and the third and final one which i think is is an important point is that both books are centered uh around a big war right a big war so in tolkien you have um in the lord of the rings you have kind of the men and the elves fighting against you know sauron and the orcs kind of thing um in um lord in, in game of thrones you have a lot of different factions all all competing right um, but in Lord of the Rings, it doesn't deal very honestly with war in the sense that, you know, you get a bunch of buddies uh, who will go off to war and they basically all come back relatively unharmed. Now, Boromir dies and that was, uh, that was somewhat realistic, um, but then you get... Gandalf, who dies in the in the Mines of Moria, just to come back to life, and Frodo, who dies by the spider in that orc tower, but Sam goes and gets him and brings him back to life, right? Now, that book or that series would have actually been much better and much more compelling if Gandalf stayed dead and Frodo stayed dead and Sam had to pick up the ring himself and take it to Mordor um, because that would have actually been a much more honest reflection of war. Because when you go to war, it's not like a James Bond film where you go and you see a whole lot of um, explosions, but you kind of walk out, okay, hey, that was fun. Let's, you know, come back and get the girls. What it is is you probably, everyone's going to die or at least several people are going to die. They're probably going to be your friends, if not you. Um, And so it's actually a much more honest depiction of of how bad 
uh, war can be. Uh, and he kills off a lot of the most loved characters. Uh, and I think it does a great job of telling a really interesting story which involves war, but without actually glorifying war at all. Um, do you think that Tolkien, uh, writing in the genre of epic fantasy, has an obligation to uh, see war in the light that you're seeing it? Because it seems... Uh, I'm not. I'm not saying your opinion's wrong or anything. Um, I'm undecided personally, but do you think, um, because of the nature of the genre itself, that he does have that obligation? No, no, no. You don't have any obligation. So does that mean? So does that mean that the uh, depiction of war, that your third point about the depiction of war, doesn't really stand? No. I think it doesn't particularly stand. Why? Because I don't think I think because we're creating this other world where um, like war doesn't have to be seen with the same horror that it is is seen through in our own one that he doesn't have the obligation to paint it in that way. I never said he has an obligation. What I'm saying is that he does it in a worse way than George Martin does it, and I told you the reason why because it's much less realistic. But it doesn't have to be realistic. But I'm saying it's better that it is realistic because that's what real war's like. I'm, but it's not a real war, though. Yeah, and I'm saying that's that detracts from how good the book is. Look, I think that's a... I, I think we might disagree on this one. Okay, you tell us what you think. I just think that it doesn't uh, need to be... It doesn't have a need to be realistic. Okay, all right. That's the underlying um, point, yeah. I just don't think when you go and fight the most powerful person uh, in the world and you and your all your buddies go in and uh, only one guy who gets like a little bit of airtime at the beginning dies, that it's not actually a... a uh, it's not as compelling as does it that, would be. Does that discount Avengers, number one? I don't know much of the Marvel movies that well. Well, they fight, like, at the time what they thought was the most, like, uber-powerful force ever. And none of the main characters really die. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, it probably would. But as a, I'm saying as an overall story, so you'd probably have to include Avenger 2 in there, but I haven't seen it. So, anyway. You haven't seen Avenger um, Okay, we're going to wrap this one up. Thank you for being here. Um... If you, we're going to be moving out of this space, hopefully for the next podcast. So, if you're wondering why me and Andy are on the couch, uh, it's it's because we're we're actually doing some moving. So we don't have really the table around. Uh, we're going to be moving that, moving it over to the apartment. So that's where we can set up shop. Hopefully, it's going to be a much better space. We have these new studio lights, so get excited. There's some big things coming. Um, if you want to support us more, you can, uh, of course, go check out our social medias on Facebook and YouTube. Um, but also, we have our Patreon. So, you can, uh, if you want to support uh, through money, um, you can support for as little as a dollar a month. We'll throw the uh, Carnage House Productions Patreon link uh, in the description. Um, so, we'd, we'd really appreciate that, but obviously, no obligations. Yeah. And um, uh, remember to send in some volunteers for who you'd like to see on the show. Uh, we don't want no scrubs, so make sure it's a legitimate uh, consideration. Oh, mate, look in the mirror.
All right, we are going to uh, leave you there and we will see you next week. You're in the bad books, bro. <laughs> Over and out. Bye-bye.